0: Good morning, IGC, um, it is so great to be back. Sorry, this thing is kind of a little wobbly, so I have to be careful. Uh, yeah, I've uh, my wife and I attended uh, IGC, uh, let's see, um, <laughs> for three years, three years, yeah. So, uh, God called us uh, to uh, to another area of service. Uh, right now, I'm pastoring uh, Tri-City Chinese Baptist Church, Baptist Church uh, in Fremont. Uh, I'm pastoring the Cantonese congregation. Uh, I do speak Cantonese. It is my native tongue, and I do speak Mandarin as well. I've uh, served in the capacity of teacher uh, in the missionary field in China for over 15 years. Um, obviously because of the COVID and the tension between U.S. and China I was not able to uh, minister the Chinese churches any longer So my uh, organization sent me to pastor this church instead So I am so happy and blessed to be here with you this morning uh, This morning we will be looking at a passage from Philippians chapter 1, 19 to 26 uh, Will you please all stand As we read the Word of God together, if you have your Bible open or... uh, Well, it's not there. Uh, It's in your program, right? Okay. So let's read the Word of God together. Verse 19. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and as we... To begin to listen to your words, we pray that you give us a heart and a mind to understand and to be able to reflect upon your truth and apply to our lives. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So please be seated. Everyone lives for something. I remember when I was young, my uh, my parents always taught me to, you know, study hard and then go to a good college, and then uh, get married, have a family, and then blah blah blah. You know, you know the Hong Kong dream and then American dream and the China dream. You know, the dream of the universe. Uh, I achieve only one thing: get married, have a good wife. <laughs> because everything else was just. Uh, Disaster. But anyway, uh, everyone lives for something. And what are you living for? Your answer to the question will impact and alter the direction of your life. And if your purpose is wrong, your direction will be wrong. If your purpose is vague or fussy, then your direction will be fussy. And if you don't know what your purpose is or your purpose, then you'll be just swept along by the current of the culture. Doing what seems best for you to bring you happiness. Also, I think the correct answer to that question must also include some thought about the fact of death and what lies beyond. It must also include consideration of the uncertainty of life. So that whenever death may come, It does not thwart your purpose. Just this past Thursday, we received a bad news. Linda's nephew's wife passed away, age 41, left behind two daughters, beautiful, wonderful daughters. So you don't know your days. You think you're going to be here next week? Maybe not. So for today's passage, I think Paul was clear and focused on his purpose. I believe this purpose, his purpose took eternity into account. So that whether he lives a long life or short, that purpose will be fulfilled. So what is Paul's purpose? Let's look at verse 21 again. For to me, to live is Christ. So that's our title of today's sermon. So this is not just a statement for us to contemplate, but it is also Paul's true experience. It is also a standard of judgment that confronts us with the most thorough test of our Christian faith. We, we should question ourselves constantly. Can I honestly say for me to live is Christ. If I can say yes, I have also answered a question the fundamental question, what about death and what lies beyond? So today's proposition is this: if for me to live is Christ, then for me to die will be gain. Every every Christian should aim at being able to truthfully to say For me, to live is Christ. Now to bring that question into focus, I would like to ask two questions. And I will answer these two questions together. The first question is, what does it mean to live Christ? And how do we live Christ? And finally, we will consider, if we have sought to live Christ, then to die is gain. So to answer these two questions together, I have five thoughts, five points. Point number one, to live Christ means to live in union with Christ so that that he becomes our all in all. The concept of being in Christ was vital to Paul's understanding of what it means to be a Christian. Paul uses this phrase often in his letters. In Christ starts when a person is saved or regenerated and he entrusts his whole life to Jesus Christ. At this moment he is joined organically with Christ and with the body of Christ, the church. So in union with Christ is not just a theological point for us to discuss. It is also something that we should experience on a daily basis with increase of intensity, scope, and depth. It is a profound and remarkable experience that changes everything there is in the life of a Christian. At this time, I would like to invite you to turn to Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where Paul points out one of the most important aspects of what it means to be in union with Christ. And I will start from verse 8. Indeed. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection, and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. The last phrase, resurrection from the dead, basically is a synonym for glorification. Please pay particular attention to verse 10. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and my share his suffering, suffering's becoming like him in his death. There are three important points that I can draw from this particular verse. First, our likeness of Christ is not complete unless we share in his suffering. Let me say that again. Our likeness of Christ is not complete unless we share in his suffering. Second, you can hardly say that you know Christ if you don't share in his suffering. You can hardly say you know Christ if you don't share He is suffering. Thirdly, glorification is closely tied to our likeness of Christ. And our likeness is closely tied to our sharing in suffering. It's a very rich passage that we have just read. We see the relationship between humiliation and glorification. We see the loss and gain relationship we see that Paul's desire to know Christ, and to him, the only way to know Christ is to experience his power of resurrection through suffering. That's how we know Christ. is experience the suffering that he put forth for us And while going through these sufferings, we experience the power of resurrection. To gain Christ is to share in his sufferings. We must first count everything as lost, count them as rubbish in order to come into union of Christ. You see, nothing from the previous life, the life of Adam is suitable in our new life with Christ. Our fellowship with Christ is at best superficial when there is no suffering and death as our common denominator. In this age of pleasure-seeking, joy-searching, self-gratification, people see pain and suffering as a plague to avoid. Don't get me wrong, I'm not a pain seeker nor I'm a joy killer. But if God gives you a good life, a happy life, God bless you. But the day that God takes away the things that makes you happy, that's the day you will discover whether or not you are truly in union with Christ in substance. Because if you are, Nothing will send you into a deep despair and make you lose the joy and hope that Christ has promised. And nothing will frustrate your life purpose of living for Christ. Many years ago, I had a chance to minister to some Christians in a small city in China. Upon arrival, the host asked me if I would accompany, uh, accompany them to visit a Christian sister who had just returned from a hospital. They told me that she attempted suicide for the third time. As it turns out that after many years of seemingly happy marriage, her husband left her with another woman. In extreme pain and despair, she chose to kill herself. I often wonder, in all those years that she claims to be a Christian, how many times she asked herself, these question. Am I in union with Christ? Is Christ my all in all? Is He my only joy and hope? IGC, please ask yourself that question often. Because that would prevent you from doing what she this sisters did many years ago. You see. Many Christians don't flat out deny and worship God as their supreme deity. But they do worship other gods at the same time. If you want a fancy term of this practice, it's called henotheism. By claiming and worship the supreme God, give us... The comfort of worshipping other gods. We feel okay. Because we do worship God. I come to church every week. I offer. I give money to the church. I I serve in the church. I'm in a small group. Blah, blah, blah. That gives us assurance and comfort in seeking other gods in our lives. Few of us would deny God, frankly. I don't think we were stupid enough to do that. But we are ignorant enough to seek other gods with the highest supreme deity. Just before the Babylonians came and took the Jewish people away, and completely destroy the temple in Jerusalem. This is exactly what they were doing. You see, they did not deny God. They know Yahweh. They practice offering. But they have other gods. There are other gods. So this morning I want to warn you, anyone If you are in this situation, repent. God will not condone other gods in us. So, to combat that, we need to do what Paul did. He said he counted everything rubbish so that we may know Christ through suffering. Listen up. Through suffering. I'm not saying reading the Bible is not important. Reading the Bible is very important. Coming to worship is very important. But if you truly want to be with Christ, in union with Christ, there's only one real way. Share in His suffering. If you look at the whole entire life of Christ, that's, the way that he did it. The way to glorification is always through humiliation. So in a practical sense for you and I today, in union with Christ means what? okay, so let's come down to earth. It means to follow with following Christ, communion with him and depend on him on everything, It means growing to know Christ intimately. It means loving Christ with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. It means that you should seek to please him in all aspects. Every aspect of life must be centered around God, the glorious person of Christ and nothing less. So, with that, we move on to point number two. And Don't worry, my points will get shorter as we go. (laughs) Point number two. To live Christ means to exalt Christ through everything we do. Look at verse 20. That with all courage, now and as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. This is just another way of saying that the great goal of Christian life is to glorify God by everything that we do and who we are. To glorify God in a common language is to make God our Father looks good. I remember when I was young in Hong Kong, I attended a private, small private Catholic school, and this school had a system that all the teachers, all the subjects will will give tests during the week. Every week, we would have four tests. And with it comes the report card by Friday afternoon. What a dreadful day it was. Every Friday afternoon, the teacher hand over the report card, and you are supposed to take it back to home and let your parents look at it, and then they signed it. And as I told you before, I I wasn't a good student. I didn't study hard, so often I fail many tests. And they particularly will mark this in red. So it stands out, you know? So I have to admit, there are many of times that I actually signed it myself. (laughs) Naughty boy. (laughs) I didn't make my parents look good. When, when, when that report card comes, my, my mom specific, uh, specifically was very mad many times. So to glorify God is really make God look good. To make Him look good on you. You do things, you say things that to glorify Him. Now you may think that, well, God is so glory, how can we glorify Him? How can we possibly glorify Him anymore? Well, let's think of it this way. Think of God as a very, very brilliant sun that is up there in the sky, trillions of miles away, and when we look at it at night, it's only just a dim speck in the sky. So the job for you and I is to become a telescope so that we can bring the brilliant into sight. You see... Jesus is just like that to many people, to the non-believers outside. He is just a speck of light out there in the sky among many. You and I have a job to do. You and I have to bring the brilliant of God and the brilliant of Jesus into their sights so that they can see the brilliant. This is how we glorify God. This is how we make Him look good. So, through the ways that we handle our life in crisis, crisis, we glorify God. If you kill yourself just like everybody else, how can you glorify God? If you react, react the same way like everybody else, how can you glorify God? You can't. You have to be different. You have to be holy. And that's the essential meaning of holy is to be different. You cannot react the same way the world does, in all aspects. So the only way to glorify God is, you are different. How different? You are Jesus-like different. In, in view of Paul's circumstance, it's remarkable that his main focus was not getting released from the prison, but rather exalt Christ. Whether he live or die wasn't the issue to him. All that mattered to Paul was that he exalted Christ. In verse 19, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. The word deliverance is basically salvation. Some say that Paul was hoping that they, he can be released from the prison. Yes, maybe, maybe not. But in v- verse 20, Paul acknowledges that he may be. Executed. So Paul wasn't completely expecting God would deliver him. Paul's words in verse 19 are basically verbatim from the Greek Old Testament of Job 13.16. In that context, Job was on trial by his friends, and he wanted to be saved from being charged as a hypocrite. That is, he wanted to be vindicated. So in the same way, Paul is saying that as the Philippians pray for him and as God's Spirit enabled him, he would be delivered from denying Christ and disgracing the gospel. Thus, he would be vindicated in the ultimate court before God by exalting Christ even through martyrdom if needed. The only cause for shame to Paul is, would not be able to hear well done from Christ when he stood before him. Now, most of us probably don't have a chance to run into the danger of denying Christ in Paul's setting. But be sure, we can always deny Christ in many other ways. You see, the culture has Catechise us and forms the environment in which we live it can be easy to live without thinking much about our entertainment choices clothing recreation activities it can be easy to push boundaries and think that we are keeping god's commandment even when we have broken it or we are right on the edge of breaking it. Boundaries that are not set firmly and biblically can be moved easily. While we don't have God's law in our heart firmly, our behavior can be changed easily by the winds of the culture. Note verse 20 that the way we exalt Christ is through our bodies this is a comprehensive and practical concept. It means that we may either exalt Christ or bring shame to his name by our attitudes, our words, our behavior. Move or remove markers that make Christians distinct in the world brings shame to God's name. To lift Christ means to exalt him through everything we do. Point number three, to live Christ means to die to selfish desire in order to live to serve others for Jesus' sake. To live Christ means to die to selfish desires in order to live to serve others for Jesus' sake. Now, Paul's desire was to check out. He really wanted to depart and be with Christ. But he also realized that the Philippians and others needed his ministry. So for Christ's sake, he was willing to deny his desire for the sake of serving others. Now obviously, the final decision as to whether how long Paul lived and and, and when when, when did he die really is in the hands of, of God. But this is Paul's mindset. For Paul, living is good to serve others. In whatever ways God wanted him to do. Paul's focus suggests that if you are not denying self in order to serve Christ, you are basically living for yourself. Very harsh statement, but it is true. If we do not deny ourselves in serving Christ, we're basically serving ourselves. You would... Figure out everything in your life first. Everything's done in your house. Whatever's left over in terms of time, money, effort, then you consider serving Christ. That's living for yourself. So denying yourself to serve Christ means that there gotta be some kind of sacrifice. There gotta be some kinds of some kind of inconveniences instead of watching the K-dramas or Chinese dramas. You need to turn the television off and you need to go to CGs and prayer meetings and whatnot. So there is some kind of denying in yourself when you are living for, for Christ. Many people today have the notion that the church is here to serve us. And if the church doesn't meet my need. Adios. We'll find another one that will meet my need. Of course, when you serve God, your needs will be met. And I just want to say one thing, because the church is not supposed to solve your problem. Pastor Way's duty is not to solve your problem. His duty is to teach you how to solve your own problem. He teach you from the scripture so that you are, a mature, you are a mature, you know how to read the Bible, you can extract the principle and truth so that you can handle your own life. That's his job. He doesn't come around and solving your family problem for you. That's not his job. Okay? His job is to teach you the Bible. His job is to teach you the truth so that you are mature enough to fix your own problem. But the problem is today many Christians think the church to fix to come to help them problem, right? Help them fix problems. So if the church doesn't have any seminars and classes and, and, and whatnot to teach me how to become a better husband, teach me how to become, you know, whatever. And we concluded that this church is not good for me. There is no such thing as colonia, fellowship, giving. The church is about giving, serving. So to serve God, to be in union with Christ, you need to deny yourself. Point number four. We live Christ by making that our constant aim. Paul clearly was determined to live Christ as his sole aim. He expresses it elsewhere in slightly different terms. For example, 1 Corinthians 9.23, he says, I do all things for the sake of the gospel. Philippians 3.7, we read, Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. One thing I do, I press on toward the goal for the price of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Christ was Paul's constant aim. As Christians, we need the honesty to evaluate our lives in light of this aim. It's easy to fall into a living for good things, but not the best. How many of you remember Montgomery Ward? Okay. Nobody, except one or two. This gentleman here, yes, you're old. (laughs) Montgomery Ward used to have this kind of promotion, the good, the better, and the best. How many of you remember that? If you buy a 39,99 battery, that's a good battery. 49.99 is a better battery. 59.99 is the best battery. So that's the promotion psychology. Best thing, my loved ones. Don't settle for just good. Don't settle for mediocre things. You want the best, don't you? The best in Christ is with him, in him, union with him. So, if you can answer the question, I am in him, that means lives will not beat you down to a point where you have deep despair, where you lose all hope. Are you in a constant evaluation that look at our lives to ask the question whether or not we are in union with Christ? Point number five, final point. We live Christ through prayer and the provision of the Holy Spirit. Paul was a man of prayer. I think we all know that. He always solicits prayer from, from his co-workers and partners and churches and so forth. Uh, we tend to think that Paul is very strong and bold and, you know, uh, who would think that Paul needs others to pray for him? But he does. He knows because his challenge is great. His task is hard. His enemy constantly on his heel and trying to beat him down. So he knows. He knows this spiritual battle requires prayers. To live Christ, we need much prayer. Paul also said that he needs the provision of the spirit of of Jesus Christ. The Christian life is impossible to live if you are lived without the Holy Spirit or you, you don't listen to and no, don't follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's a, another topic of itself. But Paul tells us that through the prayer and the provision of the Holy Spirit that he is able to be delivered, meaning he'd he he be vindicated. He, he would be able to, 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 to glorify God and not bring shame to God's name. So, if you have sought to live Christ, then naturally, following what Paul is saying in verse 21, then naturally to die will be gain. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, if you ever want to have a life verse, you may want to consider this one. I think this is one of the most solemn verses in the Bible. Paul did not pen this casually but with serious, careful, and thorough contemplation. The phrase, for to me, seems to say that Paul was saying that I I can't speak for for you, but I can only speak for myself. This might be what Paul was thinking when he said, for to me. But, Notice that this thought is so God-pleasing that the Holy Spirit put the stamp of approval on this thought and it became our scripture. Wow. Just imagine you have a thought that is so God-pleasing. God had to say, put it in my book. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Wonderful. How many of times that we, we we think things and we just casually it would be wonderful someday God stood up and say something, and he was quoting you now obviously that probably won 't happen. 'm just saying that to encourage you to think deep, think profoundly and think. In terms of glorifying his name. You know, for many Christians, to die is a foreign to, to, to die is gain is a foreign concept. They know it because it's written in the Bible, right? But basically few are convinced by it. Many people, including Christians, are so afraid of getting sick and dying, they spare no expense, time and effort to pursue wealth and health to a point that it became their idol. So for Paul, to go on living, to die is not a choice between lesser of the two evils. Paul didn't view life as a difficult trial to endure and death as a welcome relief. Rather, he viewed life as a progressive joy with Christ and death as even greater joy because he would see Christ immediately and with him eternally. So Christian... We have the best of both worlds. Even if we suffer now, we have Christ to strengthen us, sustain us, comfort us, encourage us. If Christ is real to our soul, what more can we want? And the instant we died, we are present with the Lord for all eternity. Free from all sin, pain, and death. True joy of living comes from not having looking over your shoulder constantly to see if death is catching up on you. True joy of living comes from the willingness to die and be with the Lord today. Sure, it's sad for for the people who left behind, but we will see them one day. So, in closing, IGC, let me ask you these questions. What are you living for? Are you living for time or for eternity? I have an assignment for you, very simple one, just to complete a sentence. The sentence is, for me, to live is blank. That's for you to answer the question when you pray to God tonight. Let's pray. Father God, we come to it before you, thank you for your word once again, reminding us how we should live in our lives, live in Christ, in union with Christ. And may your words find its fruit in everyone in this room. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.